So you're saying to yourself, yo, sir, dude, I wanted to see Kevin Smith in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but the motherfucker sold out. Well, after I shed a tear for you, I highly recommend bookmarking csmod.com. That's the place on the worldwide interwebs to see all upcoming Smodco shows, updated with linky links to Tiki Tickets. Say it with me, baby. csmod.com. Nice. Ooh, I just got a little hard there. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Don't 
That was Travis Shook. <clears throat> yeah, actually, I think it was just Chandler Travis. That wasn't Travis Shook this time. Uh, with Nature Boy, uh, which is uh, on his I Think I Want to Eat a Pancake album. <laughs> As you guys know, I play a lot of Chandler Travis here. Love his stuff. Uh, and uh, he's uh, used to, he and uh, Steve Shook used to open for my dad a gazillion years ago. But I just, the joy, the joy in his music always. And the opening music there that I play at the show, uh, the opening of the show is called Enlightenment. And that's um, by Chandler Travis, actually. Uh, so anyway, welcome, everyone. Uh, so this is my studio. I, I'm realizing now that I don't know. I, I'm going to have to Skype someone in a few minutes. And in order to play the music when I normally play and then to Skype them, I don't know if it's going to work today, but we'll see. I may have to just Skype them while I'm on the air here with you guys, and we'll just do it together until I figure out exactly what I'm doing here. Uh, but this is my new studio. Um, I have a little thing called the polymind. Uh, it's kind of this word I made up about, you know, the big mind of, of all of us. Each of us have multiple levels, multiple voices inside of us, multiple archetypes. And in the world, of course, is made up of the polymind. So uh, this is the polymind studio. And uh, welcome to it. And uh, here we are live on Smodcast today. Wonderful. Uh, December, uh, December 8th. It's the second Thursday of December and things are moving along in the holiday department. No decorations up here yet, but uh, I'm thinking this weekend I'll finally get motivated. We'll see. I've been really focused on a bunch of stuff. I, uh, by the way, I had like this horrible nightmare this morning. And if, if there's any performance out, performers out there, I'm sure you can relate I had one of those nightmares where I was about to go on stage and it was the biggest venue that I ever played at. And I could not remember how my show starts, the beginning part of my show. And I'm looking for scripts and I'm going onto my computer and I'm in the search mode and I'm trying to find the script and things aren't coming up. And uh, and then I turn to my friend, Barbara Roman, and I'm like, will you cue me just in case? And she's like, sure. And she sh shows me this piece of paper with all these random words on it. Like, I'll just cue you from this piece of paper. And I'm like, but that's not my show. And oh, it was just a nightmare, panic, 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 panic dream. I woke up in a total start and decided, okay, I just need to go back to sleep. So I put like some meditation music on or something. I went back to sleep and I had a dream that I was on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> And strangely enough, it wasn't a nightmare. I was actually really calm and felt like I belonged there. I just couldn't find my shoes for a few minutes. But then I found some other shoes, which worked just as well. Um, it was a very strange morning of dreams. So I'm having a lot of anxiety about my one woman show because I'm going to be... Um, uh, I've been doing it with music stands recently. Uh, so I'm doing like partial reading and then I do a partial... Uh, you know, acting of it. And, uh, of course I need to do it all off book because it's way better if I do it that way. And yet it's about 60, 70 minutes of material probably. And I, you know, and I have about 70 minutes, you know, 70% of it in my head, but, um, there's just something about that. Oh my God, there's no net. The no net thing scares the shit out of me. So, um, I am, uh, going to be uh, memorizing for the next month and a half because my first uh, show will be January 27th up in San Francisco through the San Francisco Sketch Fest. 
Uh, so if you're up in San Francisco and you see me that night, um, know that um, if you could just cue me, if I forget something would be really helpful. <laughs> I should just put that in the, in the, um, in the program for the audience. You know, if Kelly forgets something, just be patient with her. <laughs> She's trying not to panic. Um, what else is going on? Um, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I know, when am I not processing, right? But I've been processing a lot lately. I've been reading all of these, like, letting go of daddy kind of books and, you know, what it's like to be an individuated woman and all the father-daughter stuff. Um, because, you know, I mean, I'll admit it, I've clearly got daddy issues. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't with a father like George Carlin? <laughs> but, uh, and it has nothing to do with him. It's all me. It's all about, you know, me finally stepping into the light and, and having a career and, and, and being, being in the limelight, you know, and uh, it's very weird for me because for 20 years I've been hanging out in the wings and hanging out in the shadows and doing a little bit of this and that and all of that, but not really claiming my space on stage. And now I am. So uh, it's, it's weird. It's definitely different. And um, I'm just, you know, I get that I'm just, you know, deeply processing. So this Christmas, I'm kind of excited because the last two weeks of the, the year I'm completely unplugging. I'll be unplugging from everything, Twitter, Facebook, mostly email. I mean, just really trying to just get into what this time of year is about, which is really stillness and stasis. Um, and, uh, that place where quiet and deep soul processing goes on. Uh, the winter solstice is a very important, important day for me. Um, I, I did my thesis on Persephone and Demeter, which is all about, you know, winter and loss and grief. And yeah, it was cheery. I know. Hey, I made a musical out of it. Someday you will see me perform it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, it's going to be a movie. It's going to be a Baz Luhrmann type of movie. That's the way I envisioned it. So anyway, um, I'm going to play a little bit of my first guest comedy right now, which is Ted Alexandro. And then at the same time, I'm going to Skype. And I think you're probably going to hear me Skyping underneath it all. <laughs> so um, we're just going to try this. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll just uh, take the volume down on Ted's comedy. And um, and then you'll you can just yeah, hear the phone ringing and I say hello to Ted. OK, we're going to try this anyway. So I'm going to play a little bit of Ted. And um, uh, OK, here's Ted. This is Ted Alexander, everyone. So this is exciting, man. Holiday time, just about here. Well, I guess it's here, right? Halloween. We just had Halloween. People dressing up, right? Trick or treat. We never know what's it going to be. <laughs> right? Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate Halloween. Which is odd, because you would think a holiday where you ring people's doorbells <laughs> would be right up their alleys. More candy for me. <laughs> People say strange things around holidays. You notice that? Be like, hey, happy Thanksgiving if I don't see you. <laughs> hey, if I don't see you, have a happy Thanksgiving. What the hell does this mean? If I do see you, I hope your Thanksgiving blows. <laughs> really bad. But if I don't see you, happy. <laughs> I like the New Year's. That's always a fun celebration. It's so bizarre that we're drunk. We're counting backwards. Like, when did this tradition start? Did they have it back in ancient times? Like, in ancient Rome, did they have the countdown? and be like, X! 
I'm out. Happy New Year, Hoppocles. I am out. I will see you at the vomitorium. Mm. Start to make resolutions around New Year's. People do that. You try to get shame. All right, we're just going to give Ted a call here because I can't figure out how to do it separately. I clearly need to work on this. Hello. Hey, Ted. It's Kelly. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I just I I just built my own studio, and so usually I play music or some comedy or something while I'm calling the person on Skype. But it's all coming out of the same computer today, and I haven't quite figured out how to make it come on in separate things. So um, I was playing a little bit of your holiday thing, uh, which is such a great piece, and then I'm like, oh fuck, I have to Skype you at the same time. So I'm like, okay, we're just going to be skyping live on the air. So here we are, we're live right now, and I just skyped you. So sit. I love it. I thought for a second that you were going to ask me to sing. <laughs> no, no. So, so before we start here, I just want to give people a quick little intro to um, uh, who you are, in case they in case they don't know yet. Uh, Ted Alexandro is a stand-up comedian. He's performed on oh, you know, you name it. David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel, Craig Ferguson. Uh, he's had two half-hour specials on Comedy Central. Uh, if you're lucky, you've seen him on Oz, on Dr. Katz, or Louie. And uh, he, in his bio, he says he's done comedy in amazing places like Jordan and Egypt, which uh, it sounds very strange to me that you were doing comedy there. Kuwait, Hong Kong, North Korea, Singapore, Jakarta, England, Holland, Israel, and Qatar. And I want to say and add that you've also done comedy in the Caribbean because, well, that's how you and I met on Mr. Lewis Black's uh, comedy cruise. That's right. So That's right on the high seas. <laughs> on the high seas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so welcome, Ted. I'm so excited you're here. I'm, I'm sorry we're not here in the studio together, but you know, by the, uh, the miracle of ones and zeros, we are connected right now. I'm excited to be with you, Kelly. Thank you. Uh, so you and I met on Lewis Black's comedy cruise, which, by the way, uh, happened again this year. And I heard they kind of hit like a small hurricane this year. <laughs> Is that right? I didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You should check. You should talk to Vic and John and, and Lewis because uh, I heard there was a couple of days of some high seas, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Wow. I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had... Uh pretty smooth sailing for the most part you know i think we lucked out in that in that department but uh yeah i'll have to check in with the fellows on on all of the particulars yes yes i i heard it was got a, it was a little interesting for a few days <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah yeah so you're uh you're a born and bred uh new york boy huh i am yeah i was born and raised in queens and uh more or less lived there my whole life except for a couple of brief periods. I lived in L.A. for a couple of pilot seasons mm-hmm. in my late 20s, early 30s. And um, and I lived in India for about a year when I was a child, about four or five years old. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. My parents uh, were doing this work with um, this, this kind of church organization called Marriage Encounter, where they would teach married couples... Uh, kind of communication skills, hmm. um, and I guess I guess it was big here in the states, and they had an opportunity to bring it over to India and teach married couples over there these types of like communication workshops and stuff. So uh, they decided to 
to do it. And myself and my two brothers, uh, I have I have four siblings now, but at the time I just had uh, two brothers, and the th- the whole uh, you know the whole lot of us went over to India for a year. Do you have any memories? It's funny because you know my earliest childhood memories are in India. Oh yeah. wow! Wow. I, re- I remember going to school there. You know, I remember uh, the house that we lived in. Um, you know, it was all pretty, uh, like sparse, you know, like uh, even, I mean, we were living kind of well, uh-huh. comparatively, but we were surrounded by a lot of poverty. Um, but also just a lot of spirit and a lot of friendliness and the people were so lovely. Uh, I remember that. I remember mm. just, uh, people singing all the time. My mom told me a story of, uh, like there's a lot of beggars, you know, a lot of begging goes on, mm-hmm. uh, just panhandling, even door to door. So she said one afternoon there was a beggar at our front gate and, uh, he was singing and I was four years old and I was, uh, standing at the gate listening to his song. And then when he finished, uh, I sang back to him. So, uh, <laughs> I guess I felt like that was the protocol or whatever. But, uh, that's beautiful. Wow. That Yeah, I, I don't remember that specifically, yeah. but I do remember that type of thing happening all the time, you know. Wow. And so do you think that um I mean, obviously everything in our childhood kind of affects us, but how do you think that shaped you, you know, come you coming back to the states and I'm guessing then you, you know, you entered school and became a kid who lived in Queens and how how do you think it shaped you, you know, differently? I mean, I can only imagine that it impacted me deeply in having uh, a somewhat unique experience uh, for a white American of uh, being the minority. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was, my brother and I and my, my family and I, we, uh, very often the only white people wherever we were. Um, and, you know, I, <clears throat> I, I just remember being accepted wherever we were. Um, you know, I was a child, so my memories are just kind of, uh, I I had a real sense of wonder, I think, knowing that, you know, we were different, uh, we were outsiders in a sense, but also never feeling that really as a negative thing. Right. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe it it was a very early experience of diversity and, uh, of you know, being a minority, which uh, I suppose, you know, probably helped inform my perspective and maybe gave me some empathy to an extent. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. 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 I, I, I bet it did. Absolutely. I mean, those are, those are, it's a very different culture there with a very different kind of energy. So I, I'm, I'm sure it was, yeah, it's just fascinating. Wow. I would have, I just never expected that out of your mouth for you to say that. <laughs> that you'd, yeah. That's very cool. So you, yeah, I agree. Um, so I was looking at your bio and noticed that you also have a master's. I have a master's degree also. And mm-hmm. I see that, uh, y- uh, you used it for a little while. You have a, a, actually a master's degree in elementary education. And, um, yeah. so how do you, how does one go from being an elementary school teacher to a, uh, pretty, uh, uh, edgy stand up comedian? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I left I left one lucrative field for another. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, 
it was funny because, you know, like when I, when I began college, I went to CCNY up in Harlem, City College of New York, and uh, I was a jazz piano major. Wow. And yeah, and I did that for about three years, um, but very quickly realized that uh, I was not a jazz pianist. You know, mm. that there were so many mm. really talented folks that I was around. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a good experience in that. I think it uh, gave me a foundation of, like, discipline uh, approaching my art, and I really had to work hard to kind of keep my head above water. But then uh, eventually I transferred to Queens College and decided to become uh, an elementary education major, get my teaching degree. Uh-huh. And... Um, yeah, so I, I wound up teaching for about five years. Um, I, I was a music teacher in Bayside, Queens. Oh, wow. At two different schools. And uh, while I was doing that, I had begun going out to open mics um, with my friend Hollis James, who I met at Queens College. And he had like a sketch comedy group at the school, and I auditioned for it, and he cast me. And that was really the first time that the light went off to kind of, um, you know, to write and perform comedy. Wow. Wow. And, and I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, you kind of felt comfortable and knew that you were probably a funny guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's weird because I had never really considered a career in comedy. I always had a real deep love for it mm. and a real visceral connection to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from a young age, my parents had class clown and, uh, Bill Cosby albums and Woody Allen albums and all mm-hmm. these things that I, that I loved to listen to. I would just sit on the living room floor and listen to these albums and, uh, you know, just really feel transported to, I guess in a way, this adult world, you know? Mm, yes. And, uh, but, but these people that were talking like your dad or, uh, or, or Cosby or, or Flip Wilson, uh, they had such fun voices, you know, like just their voices were like so, um, alive and animated and, you know, just, uh, lilting kind of just yes. the way they use their voices and, and then the, um, the way the audience laughter would come in, just, the, you know, the auditory sensation of like listening to a comedy album was really, uh, powerful. Um, so I think, you know, that was my first attraction to it, but not until college did I, I really, uh, you know, I, I had played piano a lot, you know, I mm-hmm. performed a lot. I had acted a lot in high school and, and played in community theater. So I was very comfortable with performing, but uh, not until college did I consider stand-up comedy. And I'm curious about your, you know, like, how did you begin? Like, what's your process? And, and I mean, you've been doing it for a while now. So at the beginning, when you started doing stand up, and you were you like you said, you were in a comedy duo to begin with. And then you went uh, to be a solo act. Um, what was your process, you know, in deciding what you were going to talk about and how you were going to talk about it? And is it is it different now than it was when you first started as a comic? Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely evolved over time as you, you know, as I've gotten more comfortable with myself just as a man, mm-hmm. uh, but also as a performer, you know, cause when I started, I was a you know, young man, um, and, you know, just kind of figuring it out. Um, so I was talking from that perspective and, and, um, you know, maybe not as ready to share as much of myself and personal stories or my point of view. Right. Um, maybe not as equipped to talk about 
political or social opinions, or in fact, I even had them at that point. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I think that was the evolution. Like in the beginning, it was just about being funny and finding something funny to, to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there was a degree of craft, uh, because I, I was really influenced by, um, people like George Carlin and, uh, and Woody Allen and, you know, the way that they crafted, uh, their stories definitely set the bar for me of like, how can I, um, you know, like the writing, the writing element was important to me from right from the start. Ah, okay. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if there's any listeners out there who don't, who have never heard Woody Allen stand up, I just, I cannot even begin to recommend it enough. It's, it's, it's so amazing what he is able to do. And uh, it's such an interesting time because he, 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 well, he walked away from that and he, he doesn't do it anymore. And there's this great interview actually with him on laugh.com. Uh, there's they have these like, uh, they're called on comedy interviews and it's uh, an interview mm. with him before he ever made a movie. It's like, wow. I know it's like 1968 or something like that. And he's not even a filmmaker yet. They're just talking to him about writing for like show of shows and things like that and, and writing for stand up. And mm. it's, I highly recommend it to, to everyone and, and, and his stand up especially. But wow, you can really see that about you, Ted. You know, what I noticed about you right away when I met you and saw you do, um, your stuff on, uh, Lou's Cruise was I loved the rhythm of what you do on stage. I loved your presence and how you are so willing to just be with yourself and let silence work for you on stage. And I, and for me, I mean, I don't do stand up and, and probably someday I'll try it because Rain Pryor's out there trying it and she's like, you have to come do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's one of those monkeys on my back that I got to try someday. But, but when I saw you, I thought to myself, wow. There's something about the way you are on stage. You know, you're very much of a thinker and a philosopher and you're, you're willing to be on stage. And, um, for me, it was like, Oh, wow, you can do it like that. Isn't that interesting? And so that rhythm that you have, that way of being and almost thinking while you're on stage, although I know you know what you're going to say next. How did that evolve? That style of yours evolve? Yeah, well, thank you. I, I think that was, again, uh, a, a byproduct of experience and learning and, and being influenced by people who I admired and, um, you know, people like Dave Chappelle or um, mm. Todd Barry, people who took their time, uh, even Cosby for that matter. Yes. Um, but also working with Louis C.K. a lot, you know, I learned from his process of... Um, he works bits out on stage and he talks things through and uh, he doesn't write them out. He'll say, I just have an idea and then I kind of lock it in my brain and I don't even allow myself to think about it until I hit the stage because the audience will pull things out of you that you won't, uh, that, you know, that won't occur to you sitting in a quiet room or in a cafe somewhere with a notebook. Yeah. Um, it's a very different process going brain to mouth <laughs> as opposed to brain to, you know, brain to mouth in front of people. Yes. Uh, as well as, you know, instead of, um, you know, sitting in a quiet space. So that was uh, scary to me, that prospect. Mm. But uh, it was also thrilling to um, to entertain that, that idea of, you know, attempting that. So I've done a lot more of that in recent years. 
And, um, yeah, so I think the way that it's affected my style is that I do, I do a lot more thinking and I leave spaces, even in bits that I, that I know well, I leave, you know, really what it amounts to is you're listening more. You're listening to your inner voice. Hmm. You're listening to the crowd. And I think there's uh, a real intimacy in silence. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. There's, there's that, um, there's almost that um, meditative, reflective moment that you share communally uh, in a room full of people when there's silence. Yeah, it's it's so true. And, and I think, you know, our culture in general is so afraid of silence. And then certainly being somewhere like a comedy club where, you know, if there's uh, if there isn't a dick joke every 20 seconds, people get nervous. Mm-hmm. And and that's uh, that is what is is was so unique when I when I saw you, it was like, wow, you're willing to to be in that space with us and you're, you're inviting us into that space and that this space is okay. And there's nothing to be afraid of here. And that we're all gonna, you know, because part of what happens too is people, you say something and then it starts to work on us. And then our brain starts to, to think about all the permutations and all of that. And it, and it like deepens even the meaning for us too, because you give us that space to do that. Yeah, you know, it's it is a fascinating thing in a way. I, I suppose it's almost like um, any experience of art. You know, the, the the viewer, be it painting or you know uh, theater or what, what have you, they you know they bring their entire being and their experiences and their perspectives to the viewing. So um, <clears throat> I think too often comedy is experienced as an assault. Yeah, and you you don't have that space to bring your perspective. It's, it's all being um, hammered on you uh, as opposed to, you know, presenting and then taking a breath and, uh, you know, allowing people to fill in the blanks a little bit. Um, yeah. And, and I really do think that that, uh, it, to me, it's a more human interaction too, mm-hmm. because I'm not, you know, I'm not the type to, uh, to be, uh, very loud or very aggressive, even in conversation. Um, so I, I don't want to bring that on stage or force, you know, some sort of uh, persona that's not real to who I am. So I, I do like that um, that rhythm of a little slower, a little more thoughtful, and allowing for those intimate moments of quiet. Yeah, and I'm assuming that the more stage time you have, the more you learn to trust audiences. I mean, obviously not every audience is the same and you're going to have some audiences that really get you. And then some nights audiences that are just looking for something else. But I mean, I know for myself right now, um, I've been developing that show that I did on the cruise ship, the telling, the telling of the stories, my family stories. And it's now an hour and a half long, um, theatrical wow. solo show. Yeah. That pa- Paul Provenza yep. has been helping me develop and he's directing it. And I don't have a ton of stage time in my life. I've been doing some spoken word stuff over the last 10 years and I get up for 10 or 12 minutes and it's generally a reading I do or just a a telling of a story. So I don't have a lot of hours of being on stage in my bones. And, and one of the things you were saying there was about, you know, that, you know, the audience brings so much to it. And, and I know that because, you know, obviously I'm, I'm writing a story about my family and I, and I get that people are bringing their idea of who my father is 
and assuming what family life could be um, to that. But it, it is so interesting because of my my greenness and all of this, I get really panicked and think that I have to caretake the audience. And I'm and I'm learning now that, you know, and, and my kind of my code word to myself is I don't have to sell it. You know, it's like I can just yep. tell it and be with it. And in a lot of the moments of the show, I'm really I'm acting out the, the moments of my life and really mm-hmm. be in them. And and this is the kind of the thing I'm looking forward to in this next year as I take this show out and start to tour it and do it different places is to get that get that experience of, you know, letting the audience carry themselves throughout the performance and that they bring so much to it that I, all you need to do is kind of almost like light a little match and, mm-hmm. and, and they'll set everything on fire for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, um, when you have that trust and you convey that trust, um, you know, stand-up is so fascinating to me in that you're constantly communicating, even when you're not saying a word. Mm. Um, and and what I try to communicate is, uh, you can trust me. You know, you're in good hands. Ah. Um, you know, and and not in an arrogant sense, you right. know, because you, uh, you know sometimes there's vulnerability of like I don't know where this joke is going <laughs> or I don't know where this idea is going. But I'm okay with that. You know, it's almost like yeah. um, reflecting to them uh, that I embrace the mystery of this process uh, and I'm okay with wherever this goes. And, um, you know, you're an integral part of that. Um, hmm. So let's let's see what we create together. Because it is a, a communal, collaborative creation, you know? Like yep. stand-up is not is not done in a recording. Nobody has a recording of, you know, an album they did alone in a studio. Right, right. right. Literally the crowd uh, shapes, shapes the material and approves what stays in the act. Yep. And, um, and then colors how it sounds on that final recording, you know, how they react to it. So um, you do have to honor that communal uh, collaboration. Yeah, yeah, I, I really, and, and I have to say that you do an amazing job at that because that is what you communicate to the audience is, is that, I, that I'm, I'm trustworthy. It's, it's okay. I'm fine. You're going to be fine. We're going to be fine together. And, and, right. and we're, and even though I'm going to, you know, I may take you to some places that you weren't expecting <laughs> to right. think about tonight. Right. <laughs> right. Because you, you have that, uh, I remember the one night I saw you and you did this amazing abortion joke and I was like, wow, you took us somewhere that I could have never imagined and I fully signed up for it and I'm still signed up for it even after it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and it's dark. <laughs> yeah. And yet it yeah, was not like everybody signs up for that one. No, they don't. And yet it was like we're still okay. I think Ted has the flashlight. We're going to get out of this okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, I mean to me that's part of the fun too is like um and maybe sometimes it works against my somewhat uh placid demeanor is that I will talk about these things that maybe uh, shock people a little bit or, you know, take them by surprise. Um, but I really like that challenge of, um, you know, just because I'm a, um, maybe a little bit more of a gentle stage presence uh, doesn't mean that 
we can't go into darker areas or, um, (laughs) you know, edgier topics or or what have you, you know, and try to explore it, um, you know, in a, in a way that's real. Um, I'm not doing it to shock or to try to like, just, um, look at me, I'm talking about abortion or whatever, just, you know, try to do it in a way that's thoughtful. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and that's what I love about your humor because you, you also use this incredibly, powerful logic you know that's when i first saw you that's what hit me was your presence and this logic and and that's what kind of rang for me inside about relating it to my dad because my dad would could take you anywhere but but it was flawless logic so you were willing to go (laughs) all the way to these you know four states that had these movable walls and the prisoners were going in and out and we were having (laughs) pay-per-view executions and it was like it's perfectly logical and we're i'm signed up for it completely and and, you know and you have that too ted you have that amazing logic it's really uh sharp sharp thinking and and so it's not messy thinking. It's not like, oh, this chaos is, you know, this guy's going to take us into chaos and it's crazy and all that. If it's chaotic, it's because it makes sense chaotically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. You know, and I, and I think like, especially when you go into those darker areas, uh, you're really walking a tightrope so that your logic has to be that much more airtight. And mm-hmm. if, you know, if I'm talking about something silly or or a little more whimsical, uh, you know, you can, you have a more of a margin, uh, for error. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that comedians have, um, two things I've noticed over the years is, is a very heightened sense of, uh, justice, like right and wrong. Yes. And, um, also a very, uh, heightened sense of, of logic. Cause you're, you're almost like, we're almost like lawyers for, um, for the absurd, you know, kind of arguing. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we're like arguing our cases nightly in front of the jury. You know? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it is true. It is very true. Uh, um, so, but I I know you've got to go and do a gig, but before you go, I really want to talk to you a little bit about your uh, involvement down at Occupy Wall Street because. Uh, it was really cool to see uh, you and Lee Camp and John Fugelsang and a couple of other comedians down there really, um, really visible and showing up. And um, and I just want to know, like, what pulled you down there? What kept you? What kind of, you know, what what has it been like? And now that the, the camp is gone, you know, just a little bit about, you know, just your experience with all of this. Sure. Um well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was telling a friend recently that uh, there have been two things in my life that I've been really certain about uh, that I had to be involved in. Uh, the first was comedy. Like, I knew that I had to follow this path and see where it goes. Uh, and then the second one was when Occupy Wall Street popped up. Uh, I felt compelled to go down there. Uh, I think the first day it happened was September 17th. And I didn't know about it then, but I read about it the next day. So I went down, um, I went down actually the 19th was when I first went just to check it out, you know, cause mm-hmm. I was like, oh wow, you know, people are, um, people are going to, um, to protest, uh, you know, economic injustice and disparity between rich and poor and, uh, you know, Wall Street corruption and these types of things. So uh, I went down really just to, to investigate. 
And immediately I was among my own, mm. you know, immediately I was, uh, I described it to folks as like a farmer's market for the soul. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. I just, I found myself having these incredible conversations, uh, meeting people of all ages, um, you know, like the walls were down. Like yeah. I was having great conversations with homeless people. Uh, I was having great conversations with uh, octogenarians, um, you know, just really learned folks from all walks of life. And it became to me like this sacred space of like ideas and um, just, a, you know, an exchange of energies and people who were, you know, committed to... Uh, exploring, uh, new possibilities, you know, uh, both politically and, mm. you know, in terms of policy and stuff. But, but for me, it even fed me just on the personal level of mm. like, these are my folks. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, what I'm just getting from all of that is that, you know, we've all felt so separate and isolated and to actually, mm-hmm understand community like the the visceral feeling of what community feels like and being surrounded by quote unquote your people uh it it's an incredible experience to have that because uh you I, I, we're, I think it's built into our wiring you know i mean we're social animals and and to have been, yeah. you know, in our pods <laughs> for so long. I mean, I, you know, I kind of think of it like through the, through the, even starting in the eighties with the Reagan era, it's like, you know, we all started, went off into our little pods and into our little mm-hmm. narcissistic pods. Um, and look mm-hmm. where it's led it, to, led us to. Um, and yeah, to, to be able to take your mask off and show up. And, and be fully present. Or in some cases, put it on. <laughs> or some <laughs> cases, put it on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. beautiful. No, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. Like, uh, it, it is for me that, that very thing that you're expressing of, you know, we are increasingly an, an isolated, even though we have the illusion of connectivity with, uh, Facebook and all of the various social networks. Um, you know, that time spent face to face, uh, with strangers where like mm-hmm. as soon as you walk into that space, you know, people are making eye contact. People are, you know, even mm-hmm. if you're just saying hello, um, you know, there, there were teach-ins going on in different forums so that you could learn about, you know, different, different, um, things like, uh, monopolies and all these different types of things that, you know, uh, I just, I think I learned more in, in the two month period that the, uh, encampment was down at Zuccotti Park than I had, uh, you know, since college or even during college, you know, because yeah. I, uh, I became a student again, in, in mm. a sense, you know, and um, yeah, in a, in a sense, to me, it was like a heavenly space, you know, because uh, it was the uh, embodiment of the type of society that is possible in the sense that there was food there uh, 24-7, there was a medical tent with uh, doctors and nurses on hand 24-7. There was uh, a library with 5,000 volumes. Mm. Uh, there there was um, a, um, a meditation circle that mm-hmm. was there of all various faiths uh, 24-7. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just like this little utopian uh, plot of land where everyone was valued. And, you know, I mean, not that it wasn't messy. And, you know, a lot of the things... 
uh, but but what bothered me was the depiction of it of like uh, this diseased kind of uh, smelly, yeah. dirty, the dirty hippies, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. These really outright lies that were smearing uh, what I witnessed to be a really beautiful space. Um, and uh, just to answer your question about what happened now, um, I think what has happened. I was even down there just a few nights ago, and, and there was uh, a handful of folks. Um, still there. Mm-hmm. There are people who periodically like um, stay there. You know, even I think all the time. Right. But, uh, but then there's big gatherings. Like last Saturday, they had a big gathering of like a few hundred folks, mm-hmm. and uh, so those things are ongoing. You know, but there is there's a loss of that that space. Yeah. Um, but the ties that we uh, established. Um, I mean, I met a neighbor who lived three doors down from me who I had seen over the years, but we never met, and we met down at Zuccotti Park, and now we're great friends. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so, so, some, so uh, you know, I think a lot of seeds were planted uh, in those few months in all the Occupy sites, and, um, you know, and it, it uh, you know, it's funny, you know, you, you want to hold on to something like that and make it, you know, like that forever, but things do evolve, and we live in a culture that, has different ideas about things. And, but, you know, I still, even though it's, uh, I think the place helped all of us to focus on it too, and to keep it alive. But Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really interested to see, I know the springtime will be important for, for the movement. And I know life will come back into it in the springtime. I know right now people are Mm -hmm. doing important things and uh, things are still happening and uh, they're, you know, they're occupying ports and some houses, foreclosures Mm -hmm. and things like that. So there's a lot of action, but the thing I was most proud of was that it, it really helped change the conversation in this country. It really changed the narrative and wow, that's amazing because the Republicans have had a fucking lock on that narrative. Yeah, for so yeah. long, and uh, yeah. people are now talking about every all of this stuff in a different way, and it's it's going to affect the election next year, and and that's exciting. It really is. It's exciting the impact it's had, even in you know what uh, less than three months. Yep. And um, you know, just I, I I talk about on stage a little bit, saying like um, just how people had such an aggressive tone towards it, like almost these military terms of. Uh, What's your one demand, and uh, what do you see as the end game? <laughs> yes, yes. And I'm like, you know, it's not a hostage situation. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of people who have been sad for a decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're trying. They're trying to find some some words to even say about to to, to language this trauma that yeah. we've been under. I mean, yes, eight years, but I mean, trauma for thirty years, really, and. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of us haven't felt like citizens in a long time uh, and don't feel like this country even understands really the basic human needs. So, you know, just try, yeah. trying to come out of that fog and to have a language about it. And and the thing is, is like I've talked about it on this show before that, you know, uh, the whole thing about it, you know, there's no demands and there's no this and there's no that and there's no, uh, you know, perfect narrative and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, no, that's a good thing, people. <laughs> it's a good mm-hmm. thing that the mainstream yeah. media doesn't know what to do with it. It's a really good thing for this country to be, uh, you know, kind of just in the soup of it and, and letting it naturally, uh, bubble up and evolve. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's like this, uh, this surrender 
that uh, the folks down there are comfortable with. And maybe as an artist, I'm, I'm used to living that way, to surrendering to the mystery of yeah. of where things are going. So that comes naturally, I think, to, to artists um, and to, you know, to many people. But uh, I think the culture at large has been living in this culture of, like you say, uh, kind of like the need for sound bites, the need for uh, not even certainty, but the illusion of certainty yes. valued over real certainty. Yep, yep. Um, and it's like, you know what, uh, I think like, last time we here, the last administration has taught us that uh, the illusion of certainty is not the same thing as certainty. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it, it's hard. It's hard on the human psyche because we do need security and safety and some some kind of idea of certainty. But, uh, you know, you know, when you're bullshitting yourself, and I think uh, for a long time, uh, most of us have known that uh, this is this can't last forever. This pretend this pretending that, you know, my credit card is paying for everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it just, you, it yeah. can't last forever. We can only pretend for so long until the psyche goes, sorry, reality coming mm-hmm. in now. So, uh, it's, it's That's good right. to know that if we're going to deal with reality, that, um, there are some people we can do it together with. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, okay, here, here's my America finally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ted, I know you have to go off and you're going to do, uh, make some people laugh somewhere in a room inside of, uh, a, a building in New York City there tonight. That is the hope. <laughs> Where, <laughs> and do you have any gigs coming up that you want to mention to my crowd? Are you traveling anywhere? Are you just going to be in New York over the holidays or? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be in New York. Um, I know that I, uh, that I have this thing in the works that I'm going to be opening for Craig Ferguson. Uh, in like six cities in January. So I'll be posting that on my Twitter and Facebook. Uh, that'll be towards uh, late January, I believe. Oh, fantastic. That's very cool. And also uh, people can find you at tedalexandra.com, which has got you a lovely little website. And um, and I highly recommend everyone to go and Google Ted and buy his album and watch his videos and get some... Get your soul filled up with some Mr. Alexandro and his <laughs> his quiet logic and blow your mind with shit. <laughs> well, Ted, Absolutely. thank you so much. And I hope to be in New York, God, in the next few months. And um, if I am, I'll give you, drop you a line and we'll go out and uh, have a piece of pizza. I would love that. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, darling. Having a great night. Okay, you too. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Mr. Ted Alexandra. I'm going to play a little music here, and uh, and then we're going to have another guest today. This is a two-guest show. Yes, it is. And this next guest coming up is uh, someone also associated with the Occupy movement. Uh, his name is on Twitter is Oak Fo Shoa, and his real name is Spencer Mills, and he's this amazing independent citizen journalist that I found on Twitter and uh, followed his Ustream feed in Oakland and in Los Angeles. Uh, but we're just going to play a little music here. Hold on a second. Let me find out where I'm going. Oh, okay. We're going to play a little uh, Katie Goodman to, uh, you know, get us and uh, hold the mood of the Occupy movement. There's never been a time Time. 
that's Katie Goodman. <laughs> she's, uh, she's quite an amazing lady. She has, uh, two things. One of it, she has her solo work, uh, Katie Goodman, K-A-T-I-E. G-O-O-D-M-A-N.com. And then she has another group called Broad Comedy, where she has a group of women and her sing and dance and sing about menopause and periods and MILFs and all sorts of great stuff. Very, very fun, smart comedy, uh, really powerful woman. She also teaches workshops and coaches and kind of reminds me of myself a little bit here. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed my talk with Ted. I just love Ted so much. He's so, I don't know. He's a little bit of got the, like the Zen thing going on, which makes sense now that I know that he spent some years in India. There's like something about that that just kind of really, really makes sense. Um, so my next guest here, uh, I'm really excited about. I have no preparation for this conversation at all, except for the fact that literally, uh, I'm on Twitter a lot, as many of you know, and, um, People started retweeting this guy's stuff and he was, he was in Oakland, uh, for Occupy Oakland and he was live streaming stuff from, uh, his phone, I think, and, and maybe from a camera, but from his phone mostly. And there was just something about his presence. Another one of those kind of Zen grounded kind of beings who there was like all this chaos around him and yet he had a sense of humor and he had just, um, it was like no agenda, no bullshit going on. So. Um, I, I followed him and just started watching him. And then he came down to LA and I was watching his Ustream from there. And, um, it's just all very exciting. So his name is Spencer Mills, but his, uh, Twitter name is Oak, O-A-K-F-O-S-H-O, Oak Foshoa. And, um, I'm going to give him a call right now and, uh, see if he's there. I'll play it all Oh, there it goes. You know, it's like live. It's live radio, people. And I, and I will figure this Skype thing out next week so I can actually. This is Spencer. Hey, Spencer. It's Kelly Carlin. How you doing? I'm good. I heard you're sick. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty sick. Uh, I, I've been sick with a vicious cough and cold for a couple of weeks. And somehow the other day, I came down with pink eye. Oh, I have no idea. Oh, honey. But, well, it's not surprising with um, the way you've been kind of pushing yourself the last, oh, I don't know how many months it's been, but I think your body's like going, okay, uh, stop <laughs> and go to bed. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. And that's what I've done. And that's what I'm going to do until the 12th, pretty much. And oh, good. Hopefully I'll be better for the porch shut down. Oh, good. Well, yeah, absolutely. So welcome to my show. It's called Waking from the American Dream. And I know you and I don't know each other. Literally, I sent you a direct message on Twitter. And uh, you were kind enough to reply. And uh, I was just describing you to my audience as this amazing kind of like, Zen Buddha in the middle of chaos kind of guy. <laughs> That's the first thing I noticed when I was watching you on the Ustream was like, Wow, you're just like, here you are with the potential for shit to go down all around you. And you're like, hey, let's walk over here and check out what these cops are doing down here, you know, and it was like, wow, you're like, this big safe space, um, but willing to be there in order to, uh, to, to bring the truth of the moment. Uh, so I, I just want to, you know, say hello and, and thank you, uh, first of all, for, for showing up and and being an incredible citizen and uh, and and bringing us the truth. 
Well, thank you for having me, and thanks for that nice introduction. I mean, uh, one of the things that, you know, I've been through quite a few of these raids, and um, especially being here in Oakland, we've we've kind of dealt with some of the harshest brutality that's come down anywhere on the OWS movement. And so um, it's, you know, it's I guess it's an acquired an acquired skill to be able to remain calm and, uh, you know, uh, remain calm and basically report uh, when all about you is kind of going crazy. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of times I'm at a raid, especially recently, like in SF or I'll be at a raid in LA and a lot of people are there haven't really experienced uh, or gone through uh, a raid or, or know how to deal with the emotion, the, the stress, the anxiety that comes with that. Um, and so it's, you know, it's definitely something that I've had to acquire as a skill. Uh, you know, early on, I was, I, you know, before I started Ustreaming, um, I would post videos to YouTube and, uh, there was, you know, right after Scott Olson got hit in the head with a tear gas canister and almost got killed, mm. I made a, a very angry, uh, YouTube video of me just basically walking up and down the line of Oakland police, just basically, um, you know, going off on Oakland police. And, mm. uh, so I think, I think it's definitely, uh, you know, I, I have my moment. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely something that I've worked on. You know, it's, it's, it's important. Like I focus on my breathing, especially when things get really tense and police start running in, mm. you know, you've just got to focus, you've got to focus inward and, and concentrate on staying calm because, the people at home need to need to understand what's going on. Oftentimes, my audience on camera is, is larger than the audience of protesters that, that's at the event. Yes. You know, I mean, depending on depending on where we're at. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, fill us in a little bit about who you are and what brought you to the Occupy movement to begin with. Well, uh, well, my name is Spencer Mills, and I, I'm an Oakland resident. I was born and raised here uh, in Oakland, and I went to um, I went to undergrad and grad school at Loyola Marymount in Southern California. And when I hey, I live in Westchester. School, right? Uh, yeah, I used to live in Westchester. Yeah, on, I li- uh, Westchester. I live there. That's on, right on now. West- yeah, I, I used to live on Manchester, and I also used to live on West 86th Place. <laughs> nice. Um, but um, yeah, I. Uh, you know, when I graduated, it was like two months later, the financial collapse happened and uh-huh. uh, jobs that I had on the table were immediately, you know, taken away. Uh, and I, and I was unable to find work. I, I went ahead and, uh, volunteered, uh, as a field organizer and student organizer for the Obama campaign, uh, here in California. And then I traveled to Nevada and stayed in, uh, supporter housing and things like that. Did that, uh, at, at the beginning of uh, 2009 or the end of 2008, beginning of 2009, I moved home and began looking for work. I uh, couldn't find many. I'm um, what corporate America calls uh, overeducated and underexperienced. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, I tried starting my own small business. Uh, I eventually started doing some political consulting and fi- and uh, fundraising. Uh, and then eventually after the 2010 election, I was unemployed again for a little while. And I ended up vastly underemployed uh, working at a gym. Um, mm. though that gym changed my life. So I'm, you know, it's a very good place, but that's kind of how I came to the Occupy movement. I was working at this gym in downtown Oakland and, um, I have a lot of problems with the government as it currently is. Um, fundamentally, uh, the main issue in my mind is the fact that our elected representatives take money from those that they're supposed to regulate. Yep. Uh, I feel like as long as 
as long as that is happening, our system is fundamentally corrupt at the most basic level, and we can't really address any other problems so long as that fundamental corruption is in place. Uh, there's a lot of other problems, like whether it be health care or education or infrastructure or wars overseas. Um, all, all these things are a direct result of the fact that we have this fundamental corruption in Washington. Yeah. Uh, and so as far as, I mean, so that's my main, main issue. I would love to see uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement on a national level go after campaign finance reform. Yep, me too. Uh, I would I would personally love to see that, uh, and that's, you know, the main reason why I'm out there. Now, on a smaller level, uh, I'm upset with unemployment. I'm upset with uh, the current the current tax system mm-hmm. i'm upset with i'm upset with the homeless problem in america and the fact that politicians don't seem to want to address it yeah uh, whether that's local state or federal um you know i'm upset with the fact that we can't that we're supposed to be uh the world's greatest superpower yet we can't we're one of the we're like the only first world industrialized country that can't provide uh affordable health care uh to its people um, you know, it, it, there's all sorts of problems, but again, the main issue—I don't think any of those problems can really be addressed until we address the issue of fundamental corruption. That our elected officials take so much money yep. from those that they're supposed to regulate. It's, 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 it is. I, I so agree with you. For me, it's always, it always comes back down to that. To for me, also because there, you're like you're saying, no matter. You know, it, 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 it infiltrates in every single one of those sectors you're talking about. And, you know, you can, you can try to go into health or education or, you know, defense or whatever it is, energy, uh, you know, the environment, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, <laughs> when you're beholden to these huge corporate sponsors, uh, for your votes ultimately and, and to, you know, to become part of the system. Well, and, and it's like, I think for me, I mean, I don't know about for you, but, you know, I knew when Obama got elected, a part of me almost was like, you know, I didn't want him to get elected because I knew the economy was going to crash and it was like, oh shit, he's going to have to take care of that and, um, and going to get blamed for it. But I also knew that even with all of his ideas and his integrity, and his vision, which I really think he's quite a visionary, I knew he was going to get immediately sucked into, quote unquote, the establishment and the system. And the system is the system is this thing that just is so bogged down with money and entitlements and and all of this kind of stuff that it's it's so frustrating as a citizen to watch and, and see him, you know, become beholden to these energies Um how, you well, know, he's, yeah. he's taken more money, you know, already, uh, you know, because of the Citizens United decision. You know, I, I, I think that if, uh, if politicians in the past could have taken, could have taken, you know, exorbitant amount of funds, and, you know, they did, but as much as he's taken already mm-hmm. in 2012, he's on pace to take more, uh, corporate money, uh, than any, uh, candidate in election history. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, you know, I mean, it's just getting worse. It is. It is. It's just getting worse. And there's nothing that we can really do about it. Uh, or at least that's how it feels. Yeah. Um, you know, and they all, they all take money, you know, people yes. who think like we, we, you get it. If you watch Fox news, you know, the Occupy Wall Street movement is all just a bunch of hippies. <laughs> uh, well, I was just talking and, to Ted about that. Yes. Yeah. And left wing liberals. And the reality is, you know, uh, this is not uh, a Democrat or Republican thing. They right. all take money. Yeah. They all take money, and they're all therefore fundamentally corrupt. Yep. Uh, you know, it's it's just 
the way it is. And Democrats, Democrats recently, uh, with the health care debate, uh, with with uh, the financial reform debate, because Democrats were in charge, mm-hmm. uh, took more money than Republicans. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially with, like, I mean, if you look at Chairman Dodd, for for one example, uh, and, and others, I mean, the exorbitant funds that they received, uh, you know, at the same time as they're supposed to be writing a law that, that regulates and that restricts and that protects the American people from from corporations, health insurance companies, financial institutions, et cetera, et cetera. They're taking hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars yeah. in many cases yeah. uh, from the same companies and from the same sectors. Uh, and it, I mean, it really does kind of make me sick, like, to, like to, to look at it. And it's, uh, it's, it's rather disgusting. Yeah. It's, it's tough, you know, as a citizen who's trying to be awake and trying to be aware and, and really wanting a future and a, and and some hope for a future it it's it it can feel very overwhelming and um I, I before you came on i was talking to ted alexandra i don't know if you were listening in or not um he's a comedian in new york but he was down at the occupy wall street every day and we were talking about what was going on down there and for him what was really an interesting experience was to be able to go down there and to really have deep, important conversations with fellow citizens, people who are quote unquote perfect strangers and yet felt like, you know, his soul was like being acknowledged because these people were able to look him in the eye and talk about what was important to them. And, and I'm wondering if your experience in Oakland was similar to that. Like, what is the conversation that was going on down there and is still going on in the Occupy movement in Oakland? And, 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 you know, what is, is there some vision for a future? Is there some ideas that are starting to coalesce around what can we do to move forward? Well, on a, on a local level in Oakland, uh, the focus has kind of shifted, uh, from these constant battles with OPD, mm-hmm. um, and trying to occupy a space to, to try to get families into their homes, ah. uh, and to stay in their homes. And, you know, I talk about on a national level what I'd like to see, of course, is campaign finance reform and the reversal of uh, of Citizens United decision. Well, on a local level, what I would like to see is uh, we really need to go after banks uh, and really go after local municipalities that allow banks to kick people out of their homes um, without the proper paperwork, right. without legal justification. Uh, a lot of people are a lot of people. Their homes are foreclosed on and sold, and they don't even know it oh, uh, until until the sheriff shows up and says, "Hey, uh, you've got to be out of your home." Wow! And so the goal locally here now, I know a big shift in, is is towards home defense mm. in the Bay Area, like occupying our homes, uh, helping people occupy their homes. Um, you know, uh, getting together with different interest groups uh, and trying to help them do that. Uh, and so I hope. And I hope that happens all around the country. You know, in the Bay Area, especially here in Oakland and the East Bay, Alameda County, we're like top five in the nation in foreclosures. You know, wow. like 30,000 30, people have been kicked out of their homes here in Oakland uh, since the start of the financial crisis. That's that's not that's not 30,000 people. That's 30,000 families, families yeah. uh, that have been kicked out of their homes. And it's just like uh, keeping these people in their homes through through, through the holidays, uh, through winter yeah. is, you know, what's on my mind right now. And then getting these banks to refi, 
uh, refinance their their mortgages to something that they can that is reasonable, something that's not predatory. You know, uh, yep. a lot of these people took subprime predatory loans. Uh, you know, in the lead up to the financial crisis, and uh, you know, these financial institutions uh, were handing these mortgages out uh, like candy, essentially, and then bundling them and reselling them, and then the then the middlemen were bundling those and reselling them overseas, mm-hmm. and all this got lost. You know, everything basically essentially got lost yep. in in the wash, and it's. So these families end up getting kicked out of their homes, and the banks don't have the proper paperwork, and many times the banks are, are forging or making up the paperwork. And so it's up to us, basically, to defend these homeowners, make the banks go to court, uh, you know, in, in, all these, in all these cases, cases, make them make them understand that every single case is going to be litigated unless you come through <laughs> and help these families. I mean, we, yeah. one of the families, one of the families that we helped uh, this on the 6th, was their their home was taken from them, of course, by Fannie Mae. Now we saved Fannie Mae. Yes, we own we own as taxpayers we own Fannie Mae, uh, and so it's time for Fannie Mae to come and start actually helping homeowners. Mm. It's time for Bank of America, who received however many billions of dollars from the American people, to start giving back to the American people and start helping the American people. They're going to make their money regardless. You know, uh, yeah. why don't why don't you help and refinance these people's homes? Uh, at, you know, so that an agreement can be made between both parties yeah. uh, without having to kick families out of their homes. And uh, this goes across the board: Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and you know, so locally, that's what we're doing here in Oakland now. Uh, and then, of course, we're focusing. The West Coast is now focusing on what will be one of the largest strike actions in world history. Uh, on the 12th, we intend on shutting down every port from San Diego to Anchorage, Alaska. Wow. Uh, every port that we can shut down, we intend on shutting down. Uh, we intend on shutting down the port of Oakland, the port of Los Angeles, San Diego, uh, Longview, Longview, Washington, Seattle. Uh, some inland river ports are going to be, are going to be, there's going to be strikes in inland river ports as well. Uh, Anchorage apparently is going to try and get involved. Vancouver is going to try and get involved. Hmm. We don't know how successful it will be yet. We've been doing a lot of community outreach. We've been doing a lot of preparation for it. I know like different occupiers from all over California are going to be involved in their nearest coastal cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Denver, Denver is uh, <laughs> occupied. Denver is busing to Oakland wow. um, to, to come and help us shut down our port. Um, this is going to be uh, this is going to cost the one percent because many of many of the terminals, uh, if not most of these terminals at all of these ports, have major financial institution backing. Mm. Uh, have have major investment from people like Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and you know that's how they that's how they originally got started. That's how they got their money uh, to build to do to do all this stuff. And so, like by Turning this around and by shutting down these ports, we're directly getting back at the culprits of the financial collapse. Right. Uh, and people say, "Oh, well, you're hurting, you're hurting uh, workers." You know, we're doing this also in solidarity with the the longshoremen in, in Longview, Washington, uh, who are in a are in a tremendous fight against the EGT, which is a multinational corporation. They're a grain importer, exporter, one of the largest in the world, uh, that are trying to bust up this union. Right. And we're doing this. We're doing this for unions. We're doing this for the middle class, the poor working class. Uh, and so one day away from a port, and you know, a lot of people saying the ILWU, which is which is the union itself, 
they're, they don't support it. Well, if they came out and publicly supported it, they wouldn't get paid. <laughs> but they're, they're, so basically, right, uh, they're right. coming out and they're saying we don't support it. And then when we show up with enough people to block them from going to work, they'll they be... will essentially not, not cross the picket line. Right, right. And in a sense, they'll get to go home and pay for <laughs> So, again, for those, for those people saying that we aren't in this for the workers, well, yeah. you're just wrong. Yeah. You know, we're going to shut down the ports. They're still going to get paid. And we're going to take away, you know, preferably several billion, you know, several billion dollars possibly the tens of billions of dollars from these large shipping organizations shutting down, you know, three or four of the largest ports uh, on, on the planet. Yeah. You and, know, and that's the goal. And, and what I, you know, I was just sitting here thinking about all of this, that how really, you know, the main message in all of this is that, you know, for too long, as citizens, you know, I think a lot of what we say to ourselves is, well, you know, that's just the way it is and we can't do anything about it. And, um, you know, my, my dad used to talk about, uh, he had this line that he used to say about, you know, you have to be asleep in order to believe, uh, in the American dream. And, uh, and, but he say, you know, if the economy gets bad enough, people are going to wake up. People are going to wake up and they're going to get out of their days and they're going to get off of their asses and they're going to go out in the streets and they're going to start having an opinion about things. And, and it's interesting that it has happened and that there's something about the empowerment of the citizenry is, um, you know, it, it hasn't happened in a long time. You know, our, like you were saying, because there's so much money in politics, our votes really don't have a lot of power. I mean, they have some, but not a lot. And um, there's really no way we feel like we can shape this country or the conversation in this country anymore. And what's exciting about all of this is that people are saying, no, guess what? There are more of us ultimately than there are of you. And and I hate doing the us versus them thing, but it's kind of how they, they've created it. So here we are. Um, and it, and it's exciting that it's like, oh, you know what? It doesn't have to just be like this, that, you know, you were talking about the homes, you know, and protecting these families and protecting their homes and that, and that really revealing the, the predatory nature of, of, of these contracts and these situations and these loans and the way they, and the way these banks are dealing with these things and, and, and protecting families to stay in their home. It's like, we can take the power back into our hands and it doesn't have to create the, the completely um, disintegration of the system, you know, in, in a week or a month or, or a year even, but you know, that, 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 that thing we can, we can do it in a way that it's, I don't know. It's just fascinating to me right now what's going on in this country. Fascinating. And, and, um, and it's exciting too, you know, that people are feeling empowered again. Well, you know, I mean, we've kind of started something, uh, you know, we've started the ball rolling here and, and, you know, my mother tells me, you know, hey, the 60s didn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And she's very right. You know, we're in this for the long haul. This yep. is going to be a long struggle. Uh, this is going to be way beyond the, you know, 2012 elections for anybody thinking that this is all political or whatnot. Yep. This is, this isn't about the 2012 election. This yep. is about, this is about people's lives. Uh, this is about, the world as a whole, too, not just not just the United States. I mean, we're trying we're trying to basically change uh, a global system that has that has led led to uh, you know I mean 
on different issues led to the starvation of certain people, the rape, mm. the rape and pillage of people and environments and cultures yeah. uh, in different countries. I mean, all we really have to do is look at what's happening in the Niger Delta right now with these large oil companies. Um, this is this is not just the American middle class and the American poor and the homeless here in this country that are suffering. Right. I mean, it's a it's a global epidemic. I mean, yep. Um, with Monsanto selling seeds that uh, won't grow past one season. Um, you know, I mean, it's like there's so many issues. Yeah. There's so many issues. And we have so much power in our, in our country uh, to change them. Mm. But again, we have to get, we have to get the interests, uh, the corporate interests from shoving money into our representatives' pockets to actually, to actually change things. We have to stop that. We have to, we have to have them listen to us as opposed to the money that's being shoved in their pocket to change any of that. And, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just job number one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Spencer, thank you so much for your time today and for your courage and your vision and, uh, you know, just getting out there and, and fighting the good fight and, and really bringing what's going down to all of us, uh, through your live feeds and, and everyone out there who's listening and who downloads this, please go check out, uh, Spencer's website. It's dot com, And he's looking to raise some money for his efforts in, uh, streaming this stuff live, uh, some, some equipment that he needs. Um, he's got a lot of integrity. He's got a transparency document where he shows you how much emergency he's bought and <laughs> rock star energy drinks. And it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And, uh, Spencer, I just want to, I want to thank you for coming on today. And I, I look forward to, um, connecting with you more on Twitter and, uh, and maybe, uh, getting an update in January and we could talk again. Right on, you know, and if I could just say to everybody, uh, if you're near the coast, uh, if you're near, I, also there's some golf, golf ports that are going to be shut down as well. I think Houston and Dallas are going to shut down the port of Houston. Uh, and if you, if you're near any of these port actions, go participate. Um, you know, go get one back for the 99%. Mm-hmm. Uh, go participate. You can go to westcoastportshutdown.org, westcoastportshutdown.org, and you can get all the information there that you need as well. Uh, go to your local occupies, find out what they're doing for the, for the port shutdown. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I will be out there streaming on the 12th. And it will be, uh, it will be a, uh, a day to remember for sure. <laughs> it will, it will. And, and you get well, feel better, take care of yourself, and, uh, we'll see you on the 12th. Right on. Have a good one. You too. Thank you, Spencer. So that was, uh, Mr. Spencer Mills. Uh, just go check out his stuff. It's really, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of an armchair activist here and I, and I fully admit that. And I, I haven't been on the front lines and things like that and, and don't know if I will be, but, um, and I, you know, I may go down to the port, but, uh, people like him really inspire me and, um, boy, you know, he just such courage, such courage in his heart. Well, we're done here today. Uh, my first podcast, uh, through the Polymind Studios. <laughs> and I'm going to figure out this Skype thing, music thing. I'm going to have to figure this out. I think I know how to do it, but I don't know. We're going to get some people on it. Uh, I hope you're all, uh, going to have a great evening and a great weekend. Uh, let's see. I want to thank, 
Well, of course, I want to thank everyone who helped me put this studio together. Um, my supporters who've supported me, uh, soul, spiritual, body, and financially, uh, thank you so much. I want to thank Matt Cohen, who has been coming to my house for two months and producing and hauling equipment here. I want to thank him from the bottom of my heart for, for bringing me along here in Smodcast and, and making me feel welcome and, and being my Virgil. Uh, so Matt, thank you so much for doing that. And uh, I want to thank uh, Logan Heftel for coming by yesterday and setting up my stuff. And he's going to be here next week and engineering with me. And Johnny Dam from New Dissonant Radio, who's always giving me great advice about what to do and what equipment. And he gave me the full list. Bless him. And of course, Kevin Smith and all the people at Smodcast who, uh, you know, uh, do all the things that, that make these, these podcasts possible. Um, please visit me at my website, kellycarlin.com. And if you love my podcast and love what I'm doing, uh, really appreciate some support. There's a don't, the donate button. Actually, it's a PayPal button. And, uh, you know, whatever you bring toward us, we, you know, it, it comes here to support, um, the cost that it, you know, cost to, to create a podcast and to, uh, you know, pay gas and, and to, to pay the heat here and all of that and electricity. So we totally appreciate that. You can always subscribe to me at iTunes. And, uh, I can always use a little rating and review on iTunes too, because, you know, the iTunes people, they like that. Uh, if you have any feedback for me, or if you have any royalty free music, which I'm going to go be doing a lot of searching of royalty free music, uh, during my downtime here for a few weeks, I got a bunch of new stuff uh, in January for you. You can uh, send that to me at wfadradio at gmail.com. And uh, is there anything else? Oh, next week, uh, I've got a, a young comic on named Daryl Wright, a great guy, uh, really, I hate the word edgy, but he is. <laughs> what can I say? And uh, he'll be on with me next week and we'll play some of his stuff and uh, play some music and talk. And maybe I won't have any nightmares this week because I just need to start memorizing stuff, you know. So if you see me walking around talking to myself, it's because I'm memorizing my show. Okay, we're going to end the show here with Tin Pan Band doing their um, great hit called South. Where I'm going, you'll be coming 
Gonna kiss me right on the mouth Don't you know? Don't you know? Well, I'm headed down south Let me